0: We're here reflecting on ever-present refuge and the value of death. What? The value of death? Yeah. The value of death. Because death is valuable. I remember... When I first learned about the value of death, consider the death of anger, the death of greed, the death of ignorance. These are very valuable, but the death of human life is also valuable because If it were permanent, we wouldn't learn anything. If this body just lived on and on, ad infinitum, do you want that? How many thousands of times do you have to eat You have to brush your hair or your teeth, go to the toilet, and all the rest of it. Do you want that? Really? And if you're in a family, you have to stay with all those people indefinitely... Do you want that oh yes yes really no no we don't death is like a strength that we get it's a delimitation on experience Death defines our life. It gives it definition. So that's how we learn how to love. Because if things were permanent, we wouldn't know the meaning of love. We would not know how to love and that would be a terrible loss not to know not to learn how to love that's why in the deva realm where there is little or no suffering it's hard to understand or fathom the Dhamma because there's so much pleasure. But if something is there and you lose it, then you would value what you had. But if it's never lost, then we just take each other for granted because we are deluded. So the value of death. I remember Sayadaw Upandita. Bless his heart. He gave me the ten seminary precepts in Burma. 33 years ago. I was on a retreat and he told me that one of the yogis on the retreat came to him crying because her mother had been on the retreat and she died. I was quite young then and I thought it was so sad The mother dying on the retreat, because I did not understand then the value of death. I would have been so happy if my mother had been on the retreat, and so sad if she had died on the retreat. And Sayadaw also said that it was such good kama for the mother to die on the retreat. It's because she died while meditating. She passed away in a high state of concentrating the mind. That was such a wake-up call for me because I didn't value death. I didn't understand that death could be something wonderful. If you leave the body when the mind is in such a pure state, then that's incredibly good kama. So therefore, it helped me to understand where this path is taking us. not only does it take us to our true home which is the cultivation of sanctity within us where we are unperturbed by conditions in other words the knowledge of sotapanna entering the stream not only that but also sakadagami once returner, second stage. And then the Anagami, non-returner, third stage. And then the fourth stage of enlightenment, the Arahant, completely liberated the real experience of what it is to be empty of any self, So it's not about living as long as we wish for. We wish each other longevity. But for what? Why do we want to live a long time? If we live a long time, may it be to gain Sotapati Magapala the path and fruit of Sotapana, stream-enterer. The path and fruit of Sakadagami, once-returner. The path and fruit of Anagami, non-returner. Where there is no more fear and no more Greed Imagine being without fear being without greed without ego and beyond that is Arahata Magapala the knowledge of full liberation from these kandas these aggregates and going beyond any sense of self at all. The mind is totally free. This is the most priceless journey. The journey of the mind towards straightening out my view about death so then I felt that that woman who died on the retreat was so lucky what a wonderful passing away I wanted to read for you the first two verses of the Dhammapada. All experience is preceded by mind. So the mind receives experience. It's like a recording. We experience something. We're in contact with it. And then we have some kind of response in the mind. A thought, a concept, a reaction, a suffering. Archelesas, these defilements of the mind, these impurities attack. Archelesas intercept. We try our best to be aware, to take refuge, to bring up gratitude, to see the blessing, to prevent the kilesas. But they still worm their way in and we feel suffering. We believe that we are suffering. So all experience is preceded by mind. Whatever state the mind is in, whatever the development of the mind, we can either receive that experience with wisdom or with delusion, with different levels of wisdom or different levels of of delusion all experience is led by mind made by mind if we speak or act with a corrupted mind now you might say but my mind is not corrupted well the kilesas are present even just a trace a residue of some greed, some wanting in the mind. It's a corruption. It's not pure. If we speak or act with an impure mind, suffering will follow just as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox that pulls it. There it is. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. If we act or speak with an impure mind, then suffering will follow, just as the cart or the wagon wheels follow the hoof of the ox that draws it. That's the first verse. And then the second verse is the converse. The con-verse. It's the verse that goes with it, but it gives the dichotomy, the reverse or the flip side of that. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Our mind creates the conditions which are following how we respond to what life is bringing. If we speak or act and that includes mental action, if we speak or act with a pure mind, then happiness will follow us like our shadow that never leaves us. So, if the mind is pure, if the mind is truly at peace, then whatever it's picking up it will pick it up with that purity and with that wisdom. And that will follow the mind, just like our shadow. When we walk a certain way in the sun, our shadow will be right there with us every step of the way. When we read these verses, we are reminded that we are beings of belief, easily deluded by our beliefs, by the state of the mind, in such a way that we believe things that are unbelievable. The Buddha's direct teachings His uninterpreted awakened teachings do not promise things that cannot happen. He promises things that are certainly within our reach and can be experienced by us directly. And He does promise us Nibbāna, if we pick up the practice correctly and apply ourselves. We must have compassion for ourselves and not take ourselves too seriously, keep a lightness in the heart. As far as the state of the mind, don't think too much. Be aware of thinking. And when the mind settles down in awareness, we can contemplate ekagata, unification of mind. That awareness is a mental instrument, not a physical thing, it's a process faculty like a department not like in a school but in in this case it's a mental skill which helps us to experience our experience more and more truly more and more directly more and more clearly It's as if you're holding a camera and you're turning the lens of your camera little by little then it focuses and the object that you want to photograph becomes very sharp and clear when you take a photograph of it. By sharpening our view, we gain clarity about what we are experiencing. We use the mind in a Dhamma way. Now, with this quality of awareness and the usage of the mind in the Dhamma way, the photograph Of what we are seeing is enabling us to understand and see the object as impermanent, as suffering. We see it's empty of any core essence. It's changing in front of our eyes. And we can do nothing with it. We can't stop it. We want it to stay beautiful. And it doesn't. So, our seeing changes. What do we see? We see in the object of awareness the impermanent nature everything arises and passes away. It arises, it lasts for a while, and then it fades away. It must pass away. The Buddha's cousin, Nandi, was very, very beautiful. She was so beautiful and everyone loved her for that. She was so entranced with her own beauty in such a way that she really believed in it. Then all her relatives became disciples of the Buddha And because of her love and devotion to her family she decided to become a nun. And she asked permission to become a nun. But the Buddha told her that her physical beauty would become an obstacle for her. So when the Buddha used to call the nuns for an exhortation Nandi was too embarrassed to appear in front of him. One day, he called her individually, and the Buddha gave her a personal instruction. He performed a psychic feat in front of her. So that instead of seeing her own beauty, Nandi saw the image of herself as a beautiful young woman grown old and decrepit with broken teeth and wretched looking skin. So, when she saw that, her mind turned to the Dhamma. Instead of being caught up in greed hatred and delusion, her mind became unified. It was no longer scattered and discolored by the poisons of the mind, like being intoxicated with beauty. She became so aware of the truth of what she was seeing that it dispelled all intoxication. And it changed the quality of the way she was seeing. That's what we are trying to do. And then she entered the stream through her diligent practice, and she eventually became an Arahant, a fully awakened being. So the reason that we want to see more clearly is so that the mind is no longer divided, fractioned, fragmented by the poison of greed, of ill will, of restlessness, of anxiety, of doubt, of exhaustion. All of these opinions, resentments, judgments about ourselves and others, all our wrong views divide and fragment, weaken and disempower our ability to see clearly. When we start to see clearly and the mind becomes tranquilized, there is no more intoxication with the world. And that is the Ekagata. The mind becomes unified. The mind is fully aware with a revolutionary quality of awareness. It's a more awakened awareness. And that's what we long for. Chetowi muti the awakened awareness